Hello, and welcome to the Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. Hey folks, I'm Cash Upton. The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of crypto and NFTs. We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss the current events shaping space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice and crypto can be risky. In this episode, we wrap up some of the major themes of the summer in crypto. We're going to give you the bird's eye view of what's happening on the macro scale and share where things are heading as we close out this year. End of summer. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. We're headed into fall. It's been a crazy summer in the crypto world. When is it not a crazy season, actually, though, Cash? Lately, man. Oh, what we're seeing some moons right now. Um, ETH price almost at 3,800. Solana's at, uh, you just checked it. What was it? 124 or something like that. Wish I bought in more when it was at $40 a month ago. (laughs) You and you and everyone else that I know. (laughs) And also just price floors of NFTs, right? I mean, we're not only seeing the adoption of NFTs, but we're seeing a crazy validation of their prices. Yeah, the, the NFT mania continues in a strong exponential surge. Some of these NFTs are have gone incredibly parabolic. And I think it's 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 because right now it's, it's there's no sign of it slowing down. So let's continue to the fun. Yeah, I think uh DGen apes are at a floor of around seven thousand dollars or sixty soul right now. So not too shabby for those Solana NFTs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, we're going to go over our summer, summer wrap-up view. And what we're going to go over in this episode is just the macro you know, perspective. We're going to touch on um, the exponential age. We're going to touch on asset price inflation. We're going to touch on NFTs like we already just did. We're going to touch on DAOs. And then we're going to kind of give you the predictions and kind of big picture outlook as we head out the rest of this year. So in the macro view, Cash, what's, what's going on uh, with, with things? Well, I think it's it's important to talk about the recession that we just went through with COVID, right? And and how we've been coming out of that, and um, and really, you know, the abundance of the money printing and monetary policy and, and government stimulus and and what those effects are. Yes, exactly. So we just went through the worst recession in recorded history, and it lasted only a couple months because the uh, big hangover that people were predicting didn't really happen because we had all this economic stimulus and money printing and all this free money has pretty much prevented us from having a long kind of depression. So an argument there for the Fed's ability to print money, um, but also that is what's leading to asset price inflation uh, versus consumer price inflation, right? And that's what we're going to kind of touch on, you know, to really show that this printing of money hurts the average person. Yeah, exactly. So it's the Fed has found a way to pretty much solve every problem that they come across by lowering interest rates and printing more money. So they're keeping interest rates low. So that means that banks can borrow money from the U.S. government for really cheap. And then banks use that money to do things in finance and make more money with it. 
And then some of it, you know, ideally was is supposed to kind of trickle down to the average Joe, but that doesn't really always happen, right? Like what happens is that the money ends up getting inserted into asset prices, right? So yeah. we have asset price inflation. And that means, right, we, we a lot of us don't really realize that, right? We, we think of inflation, we just think of, oh, that means like the price of things when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the gas pump, it's going to cost more. And that's consumer price inflation, just like your everyday goods that consumers like me and you buy to, you know, run, do our do our lives. That's just one kind of inflation. There's another kind of inflation called asset price inflation. And that's the inflation of asset prices, such as real estate, securities like stocks and bonds and art or even like cryptocurrency. Right. And so if you compare different assets, you actually see a lot less inflation. So if you compare gold to U.S. housing prices, they've remained fairly steady over the last few decades. If you compare housing prices to the U.S. dollar, that's when you see them shoot up or the U.S. dollar compared to the price of gold. Exactly. So your measuring stick really matters, right? Because we're increasing the price, we're we're increasing the supply of dollars at a really unprecedented rate. So the buying power of each dollar is less, therefore hard assets like real estate or bonds or stocks or art have skyrocketed in dollar value. But if you compare them to gold or you compare them to other harder assets like uh, real estate or something like that, then then it's there's been increases, but it's not nearly what it is looks like in dollar terms. Right. So the, the argument for you know, steady two, 3% inflation is good. If you own a lot of assets, if you own real estate, if you own gold, uh, but if you are trying to make your way into those markets and be a first home buyer, it's going to be a lot harder for you to raise that, you know, million dollars to buy your first home in California because the, the assets have inflated so much. What, what do you, what do you feel that means for crypto? Yeah. Well, so as we see that, People want to protect their their wealth and protect themselves from the devaluation of the dollar. So people will, will you know, smart money will will move more of their assets from assets that are denominated in cash and move towards assets that are harder, such as precious metals, equities, real estate, and especially cryptocurrency. So we're going to see a huge rise in the value of all of these assets, which has kind of been the story of the past ten years in the macro kind of view as we've seen a lot of asset price inflation and we're going to see kind of another 10 years of that happening and that cryptocurrency is going to be a major hedge against this kind of monetary policy because of the parameters around the creation of more cryptocurrency because of the issuance right you can't just print more crypto it's digitally scarce it's built in it's baked in the contracts baked in the code so there's right it's like here you have this big problem with how the economy is being managed in in our government and then you also have this almost perfect solution for that problem with cryptocurrency so you know when people really start to get this and wrap their head around it and see what's happening you know we're just going to see the adoption curve just just continue to to be exponential uh, predict 
uh, Rao politics over a billion users in crypto by 2024? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, what, what happens is if you look at other economies that are kind of similar to ours, but maybe a few, a few years in, in advance, like Europe or Japan, you know, they have aging populations and they have a declining population too. Like their, their birth rate is, is low, slowing down. And we're kind of headed that way too, because we just had the baby boomers kind of peak retirement right now. And so they're, they're, they're headed towards retirement. So the, the buying demand is going to go down, right? When you go to retire, when you go into retire, you're, you're, you start to save more, you buy less, you spend less because you don't have that much. You're not working anymore. So you're, you're more man, you manage your money, you know, a little bit more thrift like. So if you look at what's happened in Japan or in, in Europe is they've, they've, they've kept interest rates low, but there's still not a lot of growth happening and growth is just kind of slowed. And it's, there's another thing called like stagflation. And that's kind of like where Japan's kind of been stuck and the Japan's the third largest economy in the world. So it matters. Right. And it's, we're just kind of seeing this play out and that, this long macroeconomic story that's happened um, since since the end of World War One and World War Two is is fully playing out now. So, and we're kind of like going to run out of like track to run on, right? And so, cryptocurrency is this is this perfect solution that gives us a whole nother system that we can work into and build into, and it's going to be better. It's just going to be better. So, yeah, you're going to see the adoption skyrocket. Uh, like like Raul Paul was was mentioning, over a billion users in the next three years. If we consider can stay on the same adoption curve, which is like one hundred and thirteen percent or something per year, compared to the internet. Growth. Yeah, compared to the internet adoption, the growth of the internet. How many people were adding, you know, becoming more using using the internet from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand and ten? I think was like sixty. 3% or something like that in the 60%, something like that. And then so crypto is right now almost double the pace of the adoption of the internet. Well, and you remind me of what we're touching on in our episode to what is money of the unfettered GDP growth being the the end all be all of a successful economy and that uh, continuation of, you know, wanting to expand the economy to uh, keep our lack of gold reserves being found out, like they keep, keep the game moving forward when really, you know, maybe instead of printing all the extra money during COVID, what if we just cut our military budget a bit? There's a bunch of money. We don't have to always be printing money. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that we could, we could, uh, adjust, you know, our spending to accommodate for, for, uh, our situation. But at the current way that things are going, uh, it looks like that crypto is going to be one of the best solutions that we have for for our um, economic growth. And right now, like if you look about it, if you look at it, the crypto, the total market cap for crypto is about two trillion. But the current equities market cap, so like all the stocks, if you add up all the bonds, all that kind of stuff, is about two hundred trillion. So if you just extrapolate that. Okay, crypto is only two trillion. The entire equities market is two hundred trillion. So crypto could, you know, get that big in the next five years or so. So we could look. We're looking at a hundred x, right? So, I mean, the opportunity is amazing, and this is because the reason it's exponential is because of Metcalf's law. 
And that's what really makes this all make sense. Because you're like, wait, how can it really go 100x? That just doesn't seem right. But we're working with network effects. And Metcalf's law defines network effects. And Metcalf's law is just this idea that the more people on a given network, the more utility and value than that network has. Right. And, and, and also provides go for exponential. its users. Yeah. And it provides for its users, right? Like if, if you have a, if you have a phone and you, no one else has a phone, then it's pretty much useless. Right. But if I have a phone and you have a phone, okay, it's pretty useful for me and you, but if you have a phone, I have a phone and one of our other friends has a phone, then it's three times as useful. Right. And then the more people you add, that have phones, all of a sudden the value of having a phone becomes exponentially more valuable. And also the, because the utility of it becomes increases and not just for you, the one user, for every user, the value becomes exponential. This is Metcalf's law. So this is what's going to, what this is, this is what happened with social media, but the people who got to benefit from Metcalf's law with social media were the, all the VC firms that invested early in Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all the in Google and all these VC firms and all the executives and founders, right? They're the mm -hmm. ones who who benefit from those massive network effects and all became billionaires. But now the people who get to benefit from the network effects of cryptocurrency and blockchain are the users themselves. And so all the value that's being accrued and gained from crypto because it's decentralized is actually already in the network users hands and so well, really, we get that value i'm really the, glad the you users get up, it i'm glad you brought up the decentralization portion of that because that is when the value gets spread evenly but um we've seen that there are some use cases where not all cryptos are as decentralized yeah yeah exactly yeah there's there's definitely a spectrum of what's centralized and decentralized uh, of di different centralized and decentralized blockchains, right? Some, some sit like kind of right in the middle. Some are definitely completely decentralized and some are more or less centralized. And when we talk about this, this is important because if someone said, if, if a blockchain is centralized, that means there's, there's one point of failure or one point of attack or one point that, you know, a government can come and shut it down. So, you know, there's, there's vulnerabilities there. There's vectors of risk that you have in a centralized blockchain that you don't have in a decentralized blockchain like Ethereum. Right. And so much of that will depend on the technology used, uh, the number of people acting as a node or a validator. And uh, we're going to have an episode in uh, the next week or two where we, we want to do a deeper dive into different blockchains. Um, and what they offer and different securities and kind of showing a, a, a big picture of the blockchain ecosystem. Um, Cause right now, you know, a lot of people are just hearing about Bitcoin and Ethereum and maybe a little Solana, but there's, there's a lot more out there that are um, going to be doing different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a great segue into talking about some of the layer ones and layer twos. So what is it? What is a layer one versus a layer two? Right. So we have different blockchains and a layer one is the settlement layer of a, a specific network, a specific blockchain. So it's the it's the building block. It's the foundation that sits at the bottom and keeps the ledger keep of, of all the transactions that's going on. And right. it, and it validates 
th throughout the network of blockchain nodes, but different people on the network, all confirming different transactions happening. And I like where time. you, I like the settlement layer. Um, exactly. So it, it's where the end all be all of the ledger and the transaction history lives. Yeah. And then we have layer twos, which sit on top of a layer one. That's why they're called layer twos. And those interact with layer one and they layer one lends them its security uh, benefits because it's a layer one. And then the layer twos are a little cheaper because what they do is they take all the transactions in a given amount of time and they pull them all together and make one big roll up of those transactions into a hash. And they just send that one hash through to the layer one. So it's kind of like carpooling. Right. Instead of just you just doing your going one transaction by yourself, you go on a layer two, you get a bunch of people to do their transactions, roll them all up into one transaction hash, send that to Ethereum and or whatever layer one you're 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 on. And then that's just one way to and then you split all the costs of that was one transaction. So you get a lot more throughput, you get a lot less price per transaction. Yeah. So you have a scaling, it's a way to scale essentially to lower the price speed it up and make it more feasible for everyday users to get their transactions through and not pay an amazing amount of money. You know, so sometimes the gas, the gas has been been spiking recently on the Ethereum network because all the NFT mania. So these layer twos are going to be a game changer. Right. Yeah. There's, and there's been the discussion of keeping a few very high value transactions on layer one, you know, if you're doing decentralized finance and moving around millions of dollars worth of Ethereum or, or whatever uh, crypto, you want that security of layer one. But if you're minting an NFT and you're paying a hundred dollars or $50 to mint it, you don't want to pay a hundred dollars in gas. It just doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. It's crazy because also NFTs are one of the most expensive things you can do on Ethereum because it's a very complex computation. And that's how these prices get worked out, right? Like if you're doing a very simple transaction, just like trading Ethereum for Bitcoin, right? That's simple. That doesn't cost a lot of gas because it's, it's pretty basic. But if you're doing something like if you're bridging assets from one chain from Polygon per se to Ethereum, or you're mint, minting an NFT, these are more complex transactions. And those are going to then therefore cost more gas. So that's also, it's like, not only are you maybe trying to get something done when you're aping into some NFT drop and like gas is just spiking, but it's also, you're trying to do the most expensive transaction when you, when you're minting NFT, which is a, with, with an ERC 721 token. So there's two kinds of tokens on Ethereum. We have ERC 20 tokens, ERC 721. ERC-20, those are fungible, right? You can interchange them. You can, and we, you know, it's just like, what's what like Ethereum is. That's what like all these other tokens are. And then we have 721, which are one of one NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So any, any ERC-721 interaction on the Ethereum blockchain is inherently going to cost more just because those tokens are more complicated. Right. And so bringing the NFT ecosystem into layer twos, there's this new protocol called Immutables. Um, and Immutable X uh, is Ethereum's first ZK rollup protocol um, for minting and trading NFTs. So it's essentially using this layer two technology to 
drastically reduce the price of NFTs. And one thing that this is really bullish on, maybe not just for the trading of a JPEG NFT, but when you start getting into the gaming side of NFTs or the audio side of NFTs, um, where you're actually doing you know a lot more transactions, um, you're going to want this layer two uh, throughput. Yeah, there's going to be different blockchains for pretty much, I think, all these different kinds of gaming ecosystems that pop up like Axie Infinity has their own chain called Ronin. And this was another another chain, Immutable X. And we're going to see more of this trend continue because just like you said, it just doesn't make economic sense when you have hundreds of thousands of transactions per second in these games happening and you can't pay all those gassies and wait all that time or else the game one would just be really not that fun and take really long to play and no one would want to play it. So, yeah. Yeah, so and the, these, 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 uh, go ahead. Sorry. You know, you're reminding me of the, the bankless episode on the different, um, electronic markets and right, you know, list day and age, we think of the internet as the internet, it's the internet. Uh, but there's actually a lot of different web protocol, uh, coding languages that interact with the internet, right? Um, so you got HTTP, you know, um, hypertext transfer protocol, but then you got um, STP, you got POP, you got SMTP for mail. So there's all these different language codes that you could essentially look at in the crypto blockchain as different blockchains. There are different code blockchains that are going to all kind of contribute differently to the blockchain ecosystem. Yeah, and you can almost look at them as like Legos, right? And they stack on to each other and because of and they have interoperability with one another. There's composability. So that's kind of that how the early the first internet's kind of built, right? We have we have um, IP, we have TCP, you know, all these different protocols. So Ethereum's very similar in, in its structure and that we have layer one base layer ethereum then we have layer two we have these other protocols that will sit on top of it but we also have this protocol layer itself right where we have all of where all of DeFi sits right now we have the asset layer where we have the different tokens and then we have the app layer right which is like the layer that you and i kind of and most people kind of interact with is when you go to a web3 website which it's not it's really more of an app is how they actually function you go to a Web3 website like OpenSea or Uniswap or Aave or Synthetics, any of these DeFi sites or any of these uh, marketplaces, right? You just connect your wallet. That's a Web3 site. You connect your wallet. There, there's That's an app. That's the app layer that sits at the very top. That's the customer-facing, user-facing layer, right? That's the very top. So, you don't, you right. And that's just like when me and you go around on the internet, when any, most of us go on the internet, right. We're not, we're not like, oh, like I'm using TCP right now, or I'm using SMTP or I'm using HTTP. Like we just, you just click around on your website, right. Yeah. And you just do stuff. I so that's where email, it's going to go. Yeah. So I use right? SMTP. But... Yeah. So this, that's where it's going to go, where it's like, you're going to, you're just going to do stuff with your crypto wallet on different sites and different web apps. And you're not even going to know or really care what, blockchain it goes through because it's all just going to be automatically routed to like the cheapest, fastest way for all of these things. Right. And then depending what's really going to, like you mentioned, is, is kind of change people's minds about maybe what blockchain they want to use is if you're using, if you're moving a significant amount of assets from 
you know, around, then you might really want that guaranteed security of one of the more foundational layer blockchains like Ethereum, which is, you know, fully decentralized. Yeah. And I really like the piece of history on the internet of in the nineties or, you know, even the eighties, there's over a hundred different protocol languages. And now, you know, we kind of landed around five or 10 that we all use today. We kind of take them for granted. And at the, at the time it, it wasn't even thought of, you know, what we would end up at. And that's kind of where we're, we're seeing over the next few years, what is going to stick and what's going to kind of be swallowed up by other uh, blockchains. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be kind of that thing where 80% of the market share is dominated by a few giants. And then there's a, a long tail of s- smaller ones all the way out to, to, to the fringe and fringe ones. But this is kind of how these these things go in, in in history. Is that there's there's a bunch in the beginning, and then it gets whittled out, and a few end up becoming the dominant uh, protocols it, or the dominant apps or whatever it is. And, and I like that it it makes us realize that they don't need to be competing with each other. You know, Ethereum and Solana are actually uh, really good together. They they don't need to be trying to out-compete the other, they can be doing other things. And I was really uh, excited to see that the Bankless boys uh, put out a Solana episode because, you know, we've been talking about Solana for almost a month now. And to see that, you know, they're finally giving it a full episode on Bankless is uh, is speaking volumes of what the blockchain is doing right now. Yeah, there's, there's room for lots of blockchains in the world. There's going to be so many it's it's i mean it's already hard to keep track of how many there are right now and it's only going to get harder because there's going to be more specialized ones for different functions and different communities and depending on different levels of you know centralization versus decentralization all these things are going to play into it and and just like you said like there's blockchains now that's being specified just for nfts you know so speaking of nft mania we have now blockchains that are just actually being built out to facilitate the exchange of NFTs. So that's that's a, even another big step in this massive NFT wave, which is another big theme of this summer that we wanted to touch on. Right, right, dude. That's exactly where I was hoping you'd go. Yeah, we have OpenSea continue to lead the pack of the marketplaces. It's just mind-blowing what OpenSea is doing. So those of you that aren't sure what OpenSea is, OpenSea.io is the site. You can check it out right now if you want. It is an NFT marketplace. So you can buy, sell, trade, auction off your NFTs. They have everything under the sun there. It's pretty cool to just browse around and see what's going on if you haven't. Yeah, and you know, I think where we can really see the volume is if you go to um, look at the burn rate of Ethereum since EIP 1559 has come online over just over a month or so, uh, OpenSea leads the pack uh, at 27,500 ETH burned since EIP 1559. What is that in dollar terms, Cash? Oof, yeah, that is 27,000 times 3,700. So I'll let you do the math. That's a lot of money right there. And just the next contender is down at 10,000 ETH. And that's Uniswap. That's DeFi summer. That's that's the decentralized finance that we thought we were going to be talking about, but it really turned out to be NFT mania instead. So I just did the math. That's over $100 million worth of ETH burned already in, in how, how, 
EIP 1559, it's been less than a month, less than a month. And <laughs> OpenSea has burned over a hundred million dollars worth of Ethereum because of how much transactions are happening on OpenSea. So these are just some ways to just like, we're just showing you some of these statistics because they're just mind blowing to really demonstrate the what's happening with NFTs and what's happening on OpenSea. Another um, crazy uh, stat is that, for example, Etsy, it had a total gross sales value for the second quarter of 2021 of 3 billion and NFTs on OpenSea just in the trading volume and just in August was over $3 billion. So OpenSea did in one month what Etsy did in three months and Etsy has been around for so long. Like this is just, this is, it's just mind blowing to, to when you, when you see these stats stack up next to each other. Right. And the, and the comparison to what eBay's doing too, it's just once there's actually the traffic to OpenSea, like there is on these marketplaces like Etsy and eBay, it, it's just going to be unthinkable what the volume is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and OpenSea is not the only one that's doing cool things. Super Rare Marketplace launched a token to become a DAO to all the collectors that have bought NFTs on their marketplace, as well as to all the artists. And it's just a really cool way to see how these dominant marketplaces are starting to shift how the wealth is shared, right, among the people that use it, right? So they're actually rewarding people who have used it and giving them the tokens of their DAO. And this token just dropped, just happened um, like last week. Yeah. And it's already, it's, and the tokens already appreciated a little bit. So it's cool to see how these marketplaces are not only dominating in dollar terms, but they're dominating in cultural terms and how they are shifting the way that these businesses are run and how they distribute wealth. Well, and I like the distribution of wealth that you're talking about to the token holders. So actually the community, the people who are supporting and part of it, not the founders or the centralized few who are making a lot of money, but it's actually allowing for the democratization of, of the profit, right? So the NFT that I wanted to talk about is the Royal.io, which um, is a music NFT Um where it's founded by the EDM artist, Justin Blau, and he actually sold the first ever tokenized music album, which grossed close to $12 million in under 24 hours. And it briefly held the record for the most expensive single NFT ever sold. Um, so what, what his idea is, is not only uh, giving tokens or uh, cryptocurrency opportunities to the artists, but the fans that support them, the early adopters of the music, the people who help get this artist off the ground, like the street teams from old festival days, right? People who are really saying, hey, I love this artist. You've got to listen to him. And then giving those uh, supporters some incentives and, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, benefit for being an early adopter. Yeah. And this is exactly what I mean when I say the tokenization of culture and culture as an investment. And this is what this is just one way that this is going to happen, right? So if you are a tastemaker, if you know that about this artist, right, and you're one of the early adopters of his music and you share his music and you you know about him, and so you're able now not to just take your taste in knowing about this artist and knowing about their music and actually benefit financially because you were you were in the know about this certain particular part of music culture. 
and then you get you get a way to actually monetize that through the tokens that you get from being a part of these early early phases of these projects yeah i'm excited to talk to our friends uh the peach kings uh la based musician group and they are excited about the nft side so we're going to use them as a little bit of a case study in one of our uh, nifty episodes to see what it means as an artist to think about having your album on an nft yeah that's i mean and this is exactly where the music industry is going it's all going to be nfts and whole different business models are going to crop up for all these creators and it's really exciting it's a it's a it's a fantastic way to support artists that you care about and artists that you love and i'm really stoked for them because it's it's a it's there a lot of them are realizing much more of the financial rewards for their art and their craft than they would otherwise in the traditional models Let's go slightly away from the decentralization. Uh, what can you tell me about the Facebook announcement on NFTs? Uh, so Facebook is going to be launching a virtual world, metaverse world, and they're going to be launching a DM token. And so they're going to be launching a whole kind of their own cryptocurrency, and they're going to be using that in their virtual world that they're launching. So they're, they're diving in. This is another narrative here that with the nfts and just how big this nft mania is is that big money is coming in and they're right. coming in they're going to come in with really massive projects just like facebook's doing and i'm excited to see where, where how it how it all plays out i think it's just going to be fun to watch at this point yep yeah i'm excited we'll, we'll keep update on that it's, it's interesting to see if they do a usdc sort of integration or they make it completely on their own but again i like that they're adopting but i don't necessarily want to give more money to mr zuckerberg yeah or, and well, or this, control, it all, it all right? touches control. on this it all touches on this centralization versus decentralization uh conversation that we were having because facebook is a centralized company so if you you know you can they can they can issue tokens and do all this stuff but then they, they can also just change their mind about what those tokens are worth or how you use them, right? It's almost just like airline miles, right? Like airline miles are kind of cool, but it's also like, wait, they control all the rules. I mean, you ever read all the regulations and red tape and fine print with airline miles? So it's the same kind of thing where like airline miles are kind of like an early cryptocurrency model, right? Because it's like, it's like a currency for airlines, right. so, but it's all controlled by this company. And then you're going to have Facebook also kind of doing something like that. And I'm sure Apple is going to do one. Google will have a token. And and what 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 some of my friends and I were discussing actually is like, okay, well, if you have the Facebook tokens and if you want to like go to use Google stuff, like you won't be able to use the Facebook tokens on Google. And then you won't be able to use like Google tokens on Facebook. Like they wake these walled gardens, right? And Apple will do the right, same thing. Right, right. Like, Why can't I use my Delta airline miles on, on you know, uh, United? They're centralized walled gardens where it's, okay, you can, you know, you can only use this certain asset in their, in their world. And then if you want to go to a different world, you're just kind of, well, you have to start over. So this is, this is, I know, I think this is a model that we'll see, but I think that unless they find ways to really innovate in this space, I think that the decentralized versions are going to be really attractive for a lot of other reasons. And we don't even know all those reasons yet, but we're starting to see some of them. And I think that's just going to continue to, to attract people 
and also to be honest like do you really want to like like spend time in, in another like another 10 years doing stuff on facebook or on google like you know it's just kind of like really. really like we're just gonna all hang out on facebook even uh, again for another decade like that doesn't sound exciting i mean it doesn't sound like the future right we need facebook to get us where we are today but you're you're bringing us right to the point of telling our listeners what's a DAO? what is a decentralized yeah this is why decentralized organizations are so important or DAOs decentralized yes. autonomous organizations yeah so that's a new kind of way that people can structure a company or a business or an organization of any kind really it can be about anything it can be how something that, that you do for work it could be a hobby it's going to and it's changing how we collaborate and create yeah so uh a lot of the governance for DAOs are based on token holding or how the you know smart contract for the organization is structured, which gives specific guidelines for uh, how and when things can happen. Instead of a, a you know a board of directors having their opinions sway it. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's this baked into when you create a DAO, there's a set of rules that are baked into the contracts, and so there's it's this merging of hum, humans and code in this kind of soup and the code regulates how things get done and no one can change that code unless you know there's 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 a whole structure of how that code would be changed through voting and things like that but what makes it autonomous is that it only needs to reference itself to overcome conflict or make changes or to make decisions right like some other organizations right you might have to if there's a if it is a a conflict in in the business or something you might have to go to court right but in a DAO, all the mechanisms for settling anything that could come up are self-contained within the organization so it doesn't need to reference any other system or of law or any other system of business to function which is really unique right because then it means it's borderless right it's, it's or it's location agnostic right it doesn't really matter where you live if you're part of a DAO, you can be part of the DAO in any country and also because of its it's borderless and it's location agnostic and autonomous it also exists kind of like outside these like regular business rules of like oh well if you're a c corporation you have to do this or if you're a llc you must do this like the there's no like regulatory framework that's gonna like you know that that's red taping them in right they're kind of more natural and organic flowing this way and super fluid it seems like in the in the ecosphere we've seen DAOs tend to be a little bit more centralized in the beginning and then becoming more centralized over time or or llcs decentralizing and turning into DAOs. yeah so that's what's kind of cool is that you know you can change from a centralized business model into a DAO, and we've seen a few companies do this over time and it's it's a it's kind of like because it's like when you're starting something out often you kind of need like some some strong leadership to to get a project off the ground and to you know you need kind of need a faster way to make decisions than having to go to a vote every time you want to make a decision but then once something is kind of established and functioning you know maybe it's better to kind of let the ecosystem and the community that's using it and getting benefit from it give them the control of it 
And that's, that's, we've seen that transition happen in a few places in the crypto world. And it's really cool. It's, it's a great way to kind of take a step back and, and still benefit from, from being involved in the community that you've built, but no longer having to have that pressure that you, it's like up to you to keep it going. Yeah. And I like the idea of DAOs for, for more than just like traditional, like we've seen them for maybe financial reasons, but we've also been seeing them pop up for NFT communities. So there'll be an NFT community where they have a token where their DAO is distributing that token for community benefit. Um, we've seen some philanthropic NFT DAOs where you know 15% of the wallet funds are uh, directed towards nonprofit usage or donations. And the DAO, the members of the tokens, they get to literally vote. You have one token of a stoner cat, you get to vote on what they do with X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and that's what we, we've seen kind of that more of that social club DAO. Yeah. So a lot of DAOs are these fun social clubs around certain NFT collections or certain subcultures in the crypto space. But I think we're going to see a proliferation of DAOs pop up around every kind of hobby, every kind of interest. It's going to be just the new way that people organize. And what's fascinating is that, you know, they're going to be united around NFTs is how you're going to display your participation and your like badge that you're in a certain DAO. Right. So it's like, you know, like we used to have, you used to have pins that kind of, you know, that was a thing, you know, at in festivals, people collect those or whatever, or you know, whatever ribbons for, if you were like an athlete of or trophies. So now we're going to have like DAOs and you're going to just have cool NFTs for certain DAOs. And it's going to be the way that you show the world that you're in certain DAOs is by rocking different NFTs and you can collect different NFTs for different events that that DAO has, right? If you go to like the certain, like in real life event of a certain DAO project, you'll get an NFT in your wallet that said, Oh, I was at, you know, I was at, the Labor Day weekend cookout for the Stoner Cat DAO or whatever it is. And you get that cool NFT. So it's going to be really fun. And people are going to, it's just one of those things where it's people get NFTs, people get the social aspect. You don't have to explain it to people, right? You kind of have to, you kind of have to like maybe explain to people like what, what crypto is, why they should buy Bitcoin, why they should buy Ethereum. But it, it's almost just like, oh, cool. That's a cool picture that I can put as my profile pick and also gives me part of this cool club on discord and all these other people that are really into NFTs and art as well. And I like to socialize with them and they actually have fun events that they're doing and they're, they're, they're creating a whole community. All right. Yeah. I'll spend money on that. And also the ability to keep it unique, to know that the, you know, the artist who put time into making that uh, gets rewarded and, and that we're all appreciating that art. You know, we're always going to have, you know, people in our communities that are trying to copy and kind of, you know, get rich quick. But, you know, when you actually can reward an artist for their work every time something's sold, it adds a lot of value to that actual piece of art, too, because it, it incentivizes people to continue that lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we love to support artists. And that's another benefit of, of DAOs, you know, as these DAOs get adopted there's more ways for just people in, in general to create and connect to the ecosystem and to contribute. And it's, and that's, what's great about having something that's open source and you can commit to a DAO as much or as little as you want. 
you can come and go, you can, you know, they can have certain projects that need to get done and you can just commit to a certain project. You can even be an anonymous, you know, worker for the DAO and you can just use your profile pic of your, of your cat or your ape or your penguin or whatever it is. And just have that be like your avatar that gets the work done and you get paid in crypto. So that's another cool thing about DAOs. So there's this cool blending of NFTs and DAOs and culture. And I think we're just going to, we're just seeing the very beginning of it. And I'm excited to see where it goes, especially as we start to combine more and more of real life events, plus NFTs, plus DAOs. I think it's going to get really, really fun and it's going to become even more vibrant. And it just kind of reminds me almost of when they had all the salons in Paris and everyone was just kind of getting together and just talking about these new ideas that were happening in art and culture and science and technology. And I feel like, you know, when I go to bright moments and I have conversations with people, people are just really open-minded and ready for something new and wanting to discuss the possibilities that this technology and these communities are creating. And it just feels really refreshing and that something new really is happening. You know, this, it's poignant and it's palpable that their culture is is changing in, in profound ways. And we're just kind of just starting to even creep into what it means. And it's really hard to unpack even because it's it's just so hard to wrap our heads around the fact that our monetary system, our cultural systems, all these things are starting to change right under our eyes. Yeah. So that's maybe wrap it up with some predictions, some outlooks. What, what do you, what do you see over the next six months? It, it sounds like, you know, one of the big things we hit on was decentralization NFTs of social media, right? So we see Facebook coming into the scene. We maybe see a platform like Instagram where you post a picture, it's an NFT. Gaming, yeah. So we, we have right? Ave. Ave is uh, making a social media platform. And Ave is a DeFi protocol, a borrowing lending protocol on Ethereum, as well as Polygon. But they're also aping into the social media world. So that's a really cool thing. So yeah, this whole overlap of NFTs plus social media, fascinating possibilities. And I th- we're going to see more and more of that over the next six months to a year. And it's, it's definitely going to be a disruption for for a lot of um a lot of these apps you know i think that you know when when these decentralized social media things when they do finally get network network effects and people start switching over to the whatever the next thing is it's gonna it's gonna be massive it's really gonna be massive so i'm excited for that and and especially you know with the layer two so what we're just talking about with scaling roll-ups other blockchains that have more throughput then we'll really start to see the gaming side, the the higher transactions per second that are needed for these other NFTs to really take hold. So um, kind of that uh, synergy between the layer twos really becoming more prevalent and and the explosion in that world is what I'm going to be kind of looking for as a, you know, pulse. Yeah. So we're, I mean, overall, we're just going to see more adoption happening as layer twos come on. So that means it's cheaper to do stuff it's faster. And so we're just going to scale faster. The user experiences are going to get smoother. There's a bunch of new wallets coming out. So the whole user experience is going to just get easier. There's going to be a lot less friction. 
And so that's going to help the onboarding of a lot of new users. And then we have the merge coming up. So the merge is when ETH shifts from proof of work to proof of stake. So it's it's kind of how the network validates its, itself. So this is a big update to the network. They call it ETH 2.0. It's going to be happening in the beginning of 2022 is kind of the ballpark. They're not exactly sure exactly what day. But this is going to make it so that ETH ships completely deflationary, meaning less issuance is actually negative ETH. ETH is being burned more than it's being created. So it's going to result in ETH being more scarce. That tugs into the ultrasound money narrative with Justin Drake and that literally there's going to be less and less ETH being created, but then we need ETH to do all these transactions on the Ethereum network. And then more people are going to be using the Ethereum network. So, I mean, if you just look at the look at these forces these market forces are going to make the price of ethereum go up because demand is going to keep increasing while supply keeps decreasing so that means the value will rise so we're going to see eth appreciate uh significantly i think towards the end of this year i'm predicting it predictions i'm thinking of predicting at least ten thousand dollars per ethereum by december yeah i was thinking end of year 10k yeah yeah, and, 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 and Bitcoin will folks. continue to rise. Bitcoin could be up to over 100K by the end Solana, of this year. I'll say uh, $1,000 per Solana by the end of the year. 1,000 Solana? Bullish, yeah, I could, bullish, I could definitely but... see. I could see Solana hit that. Yeah, Solana's, Solana is kind of where Ethereum was like a year ago. So Right, but, it was but, only founded in what, 2018? Yeah, exactly. And they actually yeah. just an- announced they have another hackathon on Solana that just started yesterday called Ignition. And they have over $5 million in prizes and rewards for people who build apps on Solana. So a hackathon is a a way for them to like get all the developers buzzed up and excited to essentially build code, code up apps really quickly that would work on Solana and find different things to build that they need. And if you create something valuable that the core team of Solana thinks is, is really valuable, then they give you money. So that's a hackathon. So they have one going on right now. It's a way to kind of bootstrap development, right? Just like on different blockchains, they might have liquidity mining, right? They give out tokens for you for you using a different blockchain that's new. So on a new blockchain to get developers to build stuff, they have hackathons. So, right, gotcha. And so, so yeah, so Solana's getting more traction, more adoption, more apps. And the more, you know, it's, it's network effects, right? It's Metcalf's law. So if you just look at the network effects and how many people are using it, and where it's going, how many people are adopting it. And it always starts with developers. Because right. if there's and no then, apps, then there's no thing, nothing for users to do. So if you want to see where the industry is moving, follow the developers. If you follow developers, you, you can see where the zeitgeist is headed. And they're right. all on Solana right now. And that's the social side of things, right? Where it's moving to sports teams and celebrities and big businesses actually having a presence in these spaces. Um, so I'm excited to see what that looks like in the, you know, around the holidays, what, what NFTs can you buy for your loved ones? It's, it's going to be there. You're going to hear advertisements for big old red bow on this NFT for your loved one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be too, it's going to be too easy for some of these companies just to, you know, to resist. And I mean, think about it. It's great because you don't have to ship it. Right. That's always the thing in the holidays is like, always like, oh man, like shipping and the, all these, you know, Amazon is always telling you like, oh, the last day to order something, if you want it to arrive by a certain day, 
by Christmas or whatever, you have to order it by this day. And with NFTs, like you literally could buy it Christmas morning and then just like send it to your your friends or your your loved ones. And then you're like, oh, guess see, it's right there. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it, the lack that the, the fact that it's digital goods, it's brilliant yeah. because you don't have to keep inventory in physical space. You don't have to ship it. So, yeah, I mean, the NFT is the perfect gift for 2021. I mean, what what would be a better gift for someone who's into crypto in 2021, which is the year of NFTs? Right. It, I think we're all going to remember this year as the year that NFTs really exploded in the world. And when we look back. Because in the beginning of this year, did you really like the, the average person had never heard of them? And even in crypto, they weren't that dominant. They were just like this side thing that just was like, okay, that's cool. But now they're they're center stage and they're impossible to resist and impossible to ignore. Yeah, you were really sweet and you gave me an NFT on Monday. I woke up in the morning and had a new NFT in my OpenSea. Yeah, gifting NFTs is is the new thing, people. So if yeah, if you have some friends and you want to make their day. Just get their wallet address, send send them an NFT. It doesn't have to be like the most expensive NFT you own. Just get send them something. Send them something, you know, something cool. You know? It's a it's a great feeling sending someone an NFT. Yeah, I love it. It was the most exciting thing that happened to me yet is to get be gifted once a year. So sweet. Um, what are you what excited you, for, Cash? I was just gonna ask you. Well, I'm really excited. Can you guess? It's another NFT. Um, this is on the Solana network called Rogue Sharks. And we talked about them on one of our Getting Nifties, but they just announced that they'll be minting at the end of September um, for five soul. Um, so by that time, you know, it might be $1,000 <laughs> when soul's up around $200 a share in the next month. We'll see. Uh, but what I really love about them is they are trying to highlight the shark fin hunting practice for making shark fin soup where they really, uh, hurt a lot of the sharks in our water. So, uh, a, a cool way they don't to they just, they kill, they kill the whole shark just to get its fin, right? Or they so chop the, whole, the fin off and they leave the shark. But doesn't in the water that? To die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's just like killing them, like an, an elephant just for their tusks, right? right. They kill the entire yeah. elephant, just cut the tusks off. It's horrible. Yeah. So that that's the the eco space I'm excited about is you know how can we allow this NFT mania to also do good in the world and and um, one of our our next guests this month is gonna or our, one of our first guests because we're gonna start bringing guests on is um, the Region Network so a blockchain for social um, you know responsible land practices is just one example of you know blockchains doing more than just making people money right now they really are trying to solve solve problems um, that face us in the world. That's what awesome. are you excited for? I am excited for Ethereum just in general. I'm excited for all the amazing things that are happening. It just feels like there's so much momentum in the space right now, so much positive momentum. And in, in general, I'm just excited for the bright light that crypto is in the world. Because I think if you look around in the world and if you look at the news, you can get really bummed out and you can be like, wow, we're, we're, we're never going to get ourselves out of these, these problems. But then you look at blockchain technology, you look at crypto, you look at NFTs, and you see all this positivity. You see all these people that are incredibly smart, much smarter than I'll ever be working on these amazing solutions for technology to coordinate human beings. Because a lot of these problems are problems of coordination, right? Like if we could all coordinate 
ways to make incentives that align with some of these problems, then we can solve them. So we just have to figure out, you know, how to apply some of this technology to create really creative ways, just like how the, like you were just mentioning with Solana rogue sharks and how, you know, they're, they're figuring out a way to use this NFT, NFT momentum to, to stop a really bad practice that's happening to sharks. So the more and more people find these innovative ways to combine blockchain and real world positive change solutions, the, the better we're all going to be. So I'm just excited for the, for the, uh, the sweetness that, that uh, crypto represents in the positivity that can happen when we work together in a rev revolutionary new kind of way. I've said it better myself. I like all yeah. my NFTs wrapped around ETH too. Yeah, exactly. It's it's good to it's good to wrap your ETH with NFTs, and and you know that's that's what I tell people that are that are new to NFTs. It's remember that you know when you buy an NFT, well, most of them, right? They're they're uh, denominated in Ethereum, so it's just another way to to hold Ethereum as well. So if you're bullish Ethereum, might as well hold a cool piece of art that represents Ethereum. Exactly. Well, that's it for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world, and we're here to ensure that you're ready. Please subscribe, share this podcast with your friends and enemies, and leave us a review. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.